You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I'm your co-host, PJ, along with my sidekick, Matt Childs. Matt? Hello. Hey. Hey, doing? I see your cup, little little cup from Manaus, Brazil. Yes. It's the JJ Mesquita. It is. And the light in the forest. We got to go on both of those. Yeah, it was. And so just so that you know, the JJ Mesquita and the light in the forest, they're boats that are friends at the Presbyterian Church of Manaus uses to minister to the people of the Amazon. Mm. So really cool what, what they do. I think we've talked a little bit about them on our podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah. But Matt, one of the things too that happened this week was Serve Day. Yes. So you led out in Serve Day, did a great job as you always do in leading out. Thank you. There. So how many people did we have this yeah. this weekend? So we had 151. 151. Which is so much fun because we only had like 135 sign up. Oh. And typically just the nature of people's schedules, about 20% will no show. Right. We'll have some walk-ups, yeah. but we always have 10, 15% less than what the signups were. We had more. That's great. Um, we had more. And, and what was fun, we had like 29 kids. 29 kids. Yep. So that is, uh, you know, the, the elementary school, there was about 17. And then middle and high school, there was, there was 12. Um, and the ecclesial school yeah. had 41 people. Wow. There was there was 10 signed up and then they just showed out. So wow. um so Dr. Clark brought his daughter and a bunch of the teachers and kids came. So it was a a true collaboration on that project too. So That's awesome. Yeah, it was a it was a great time and my my girls got to got to hang out with me on stage and uh got to do their own project. So so thankful for that. Love it. Now when's the when's the next Serve day. So the next Saturday serve day will be in the um, in the spring. spring. Um, so well, it'll be February, so not quite spring. But we have all sorts of opportunities to serve coming up. It will feel like spring to some people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but if you go to the commission page, NorthlandChurch.net slash commission, we have all sorts of upcoming events. We're going to be at two trunk or treats over the next couple of weeks. Um, and then we'll be doing Christmas house and, and other opportunities to serve all through the rest of the year. Love it. Because we do four things here at Northland to accomplish our mission. We connect with God and others. We cultivate disciples and leaders. We care for people and resources. And then we are commissioned to neighbors and nations. Yeah. And so, hey, we got a little bit different format this week because I did not preach this past weekend. It was a one-off, and we had Pastor John, Pastor Gus. They both brought the word. And then this coming week, we start a new series, More Than mm. Enough, a study through the Book of Ruth, really looking forward to that series. But you've generated a little kind of different format for us this week, so I'll let you go yeah. ahead and introduce that. Yeah, so this is Rapid Fire Questions. I presented this to, uh, I've got I don't think we'll get through them all, but we'll see. I have like 26 questions, and I showed these to Pastor Gus. He started laughing. He's like, that's going to be like two hours. I'm like, no, no, no. These are like 
20-second, 30-second answers, rapid fire. There might be a few that we circle back on and dig a little deeper, or maybe we put a little star next to it and we, we might say even have to like delete them. We might have to tell Steve like, no, we can't. We can't put that. No, 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 no deletes. No, no deletes. No edits. This is one take. This is it. Yes, we we should call this one take. take. Um, well, we know, it really is. No, we've only re-recorded one episode. Yeah. And that was Ever. and it wasn't because it was a blooper. It was just like uh, we wanted to say some different things. Yeah. But, so that's it. So this is, I mean, this is um, you know, I say, well, I guess Steve does edit to make me sound much better. I'm I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm not, I, it is what it is. I'm that was sorry. a request, yeah. right? Make, was, me yeah, sound, make me sound sound better. You know, make my my voice deeper. Make <laughs> more eloquent. I don't know. Erase the ums. Ah, uh, don't don't do that. I I do way too many ums. Yeah. So let's do this. We have a couple sets of questions. We have some warm up questions. We have some light questions, and then some deeper questions. We're just gonna go rapid fire, and uh, we'll see we'll see how long we go. Uh, so first of all, this weekend, let's start there. You had Pastor Pastor John preaching on Saturday, Pastor Gus preaching on Sunday. Um, I'd love for you to talk about the philosophy behind having two different preachers preach on a weekend. Well, it was unintentional at first. I, first, I was just going to have Gus preach both. Yeah. Because, you know, one of the things about Gus, he was the interim pastor before I got here. And I do love for people to see him occasionally mm. because we do have a lot of, you know, Derwin preach, John can preach, yep. uh, Vince from the governing elder board, like he yep. can preach. And then, you know, I got some friends that would, would always love to kind of come in. And so, so and now the two Dan's and now the two Dan's can yep. preach because we'll have Dan talks at least once, if not twice a year. Yep. I mean. So we have a, a fairly deep bench, yeah. Especially when I look at I'm I'm only going to be preaching thirty eight to forty two times a year. So mm-hmm. at least ten to sometimes fourteen times a year, you're going to have someone else preach. And Gus could not preach on Saturday because he had a wedding. And I'm like, well, you you keep. You, you keep it on your schedule to preach Sunday, and I'll I'll just ask John if he wants to preach on Saturday. And I'm like, why don't I do more of this? Where, yeah. it, particularly if it's you know not part of a series and it's just one off, to have somebody preach on Saturday and somebody preach on Sunday, and yeah. you can actually get more people in the rotation that way. So that was ultimately the the reason I stumbled upon it because I don't I don't know why I haven't thought about that before. <laughs> And even if we were in in a series like we'll be in the book of Acts again next year, early next year, I could still, when I'm not here, have someone preach on Saturday that sure. the same passage and Sunday and sure. and that I, I just like the continuity, if, especially if I, when I'm in a series like Iron Faith or More Than Enough. Th- there for me is a consistency to the to the continuity. For for you know for each week, kind of w- whether it builds upon one another sure. or referring to something like so yeah so that's just especially early on right now I like that continuity but yeah. but in those one offs or particularly like we're going through like a, a book of the Bible like Acts you could you could include more people that way sure yeah um, awesome next question favorite Iron Faith message. Ooh, uh, can't say them all. I can't say them all, man. Um, probably the pain and suffering. Really? Probably the pain and suffering. Why? Uh, because it just meant more to me. 
uh, not only from a ministerial point that I've just been through a lot of pain and suffering. Um, yeah. And from the physicality of doing an Ironman or training for one, like it, it's a legit thing. Yeah. And but but, you know, it's producing something. So that that's the message I would say. Great. Uh, in 30 seconds or less, share with us the above and beyond campaign. Above and beyond campaign. So above and beyond is our offering initiative. Our budget initiative is what we call tithing. So that's how we fund our seven and a half million dollar budget that covers all of the ministries that we do in all our facilities. So our budget covers four particular things. It goes to people because people reach people. That's your staff. It goes to missions because missions is the mandate of the church. It goes to resources because resources resource the church. And then it also goes to facilities because facilities facilitate ministry. So that's our Tithing above and beyond is our offering initiative. So it's the above and beyond. And so it covers all of the things that's not in our budget per se. So capital improvements. So mm-hmm. things like the HVAC unit, maybe an awning prayerfully, Lord willing. And then also we are incorporating Mercy Road. Mm-hmm which is our nonprofit uh, program that houses our Community Arts Connection, Life Hope Child Care, our bookstore cafe. It also will include one-to-one hope. So we are really launching a separate nonprofit to be mm. really the care sphere mm. of Central Florida. And that's what Above and Beyond is going to this go round. So I know that was longer th- than 30 seconds. Sorry. A little bit more. One minute and 25 seconds. All right. You, you had to be really precise. And the only the only reason why he's <laughs> precise is because he has a timer over there. I so. think I'm going to start making you nervous. I keep looking down on my uh, phone. Yeah. Okay. So next question. I think we're doing good. Um, can you outline this series? So we are, say we're on the 25th floor. We get into an elevator and hey, Pastor Josh, we're going on the first floor. Hey, what's this? What's this next series about? Right. Oh, this next series, we are going to be in the Book of Ruth, and we're not going to focus on Ruth and Boaz, this love story that people would would really? normally think about. We are actually going to focus on Naomi mm. and the the element of Naomi's life. We're going to look at how the Lord is always more than enough. And what we will see in her in her life's trajectory is that she didn't believe that the Lord was enough. Mm. And when she came to find out that the Lord was enough, she realized that he was more than enough. Mm. And that's the thing that we I want people to really take away from this is that even when the Lord is enough, you will realize he's more than enough. Oh, that's awesome. Looking forward to it. So that's coming up this next weekend. This next weekend. So uh, four weeks and we'll just take one chapter each week. But we'll focus more on the Naomi aspect. And Joni, she stressed to me that I had to pronounce her name right because from a southern, you know, more dialect, I, I, I like to say Naomi. Naomi. Or right. Naomi. But Naomi. So I like to say not Naomi. Naomi. Okay. As opposed to Naomi. So, and I'm like, now you're going to mess People are going to know what I, I mean. Yeah, they know. Naomi. They know. Naomi. Naomi. Okay. So. What series are you most excited about developing in the future? Ooh, that's a great one. Um, hmm. Well, so I have Anchor Series. 
So the two anchor series that I do every year is one going through a book. So mm-hmm. we're still in the book of Acts next year. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, prayerfully, we will conclude going through the book of Acts. I think we'll see. Okay. And then next fall, we will start How to Lose Your Family in 10 Easy Ways. So I'm looking forward to really really developing that even more. I, I've done a series. I've done actually that series before. Mm. It's basically a biblical theology of singleness, marriage, and family. Mm. Mm. And But I, I want to develop it, you know, because that was years ago. And so I'm looking forward to developing it once again to see how the Lord has grown me in those areas. So not how to save your family or keep your family, how to lose your family. Yeah, so it's reverse psychology. Yeah. So mm. we're going to start with how people do lose their family mm. and mm. then talk about how you actually do thrive in your family. Mm. So that's next fall. Next fall. Awesome. So so Iron Faith was our was our anchor series for the fall this year. Yeah. Next year, and that's a 10-week series. Awesome. Okay. So cool. so this one was 7 weeks. That one was that one's going to be 10 weeks. Awesome. So that one's going to be that one's going to be a lot of fun. A lot Great. of fun. Okay, we got through the first warm-up questions. We're about to head into the uh quote light questions. So oh, like light questions. As a um as just a disclaimer for all the listeners, um Pastor Josh saw these questions, I don't know. 10 minutes ago. Um, so he doesn't quite know what's coming, and that's part of the fun of it. Uh, so what's your favorite dessert? Favorite dessert. Well, this is a little complicated. You got to make them complicated. Why is it complicated? Well, because Just my answer favorite the dessert question. of all time is not what my favorite dessert is. That's so my confusing. favorite dessert is cheesecake. That's my favorite dessert. Yeah. Like, I, I just love cheesecake. Yeah. But my favorite dessert, my number one favorite dessert is actually found at a restaurant called Stony River. And you can find Stony River in Atlanta, a couple other cities throughout. I don't believe there's one in Orlando, but they have a carrot cake. And that carrot cake is the number one dessert on my list. Like, So I love cheesecake. Cheesecake's my favorite dessert, but that is my all-time favorite dessert. That's why it was a little complicated. Okay. Yeah. So for your birthday, what type of cake do you get? <laughs> not a cheesecake. <laughs> no, Why not? Uh, I mean, sometimes. You can do that. Well, yeah, Joni can. I mean, she can make a cheesecake, but, you know, she she actually makes other cakes really well. So I've had, like, oh, gosh, what have I had for? I don't even, so you don't have a tradition. It's just whatever. No, I don't have a tradition for my birthday. So I have an unusual tradition. Yeah. I have a lemon jello cake. A lemon jello cake? I've never even heard of a lemon jello cake. It's it's like a um it's a thin, almost like a pound cake. It, okay. I'm not even that big of a fan of, of lemon. Yeah. It's just so good. There's no frosting on it. And it is delicious. So my my dad growing up always had it. He got me into it. Um because primarily he wanted to have lemon jello cake a second time throughout the year. So he has it on his birthday and then mine. Uh, so now I've been trying to get one of my girls. I haven't talked him into it yet. Okay. But I was uh, really trying hard for Paige's birthday. But lemon jello. So next cake. next June, when my birthday comes around, I'll bring you some. Okay. Yeah. I, I've never had, I've never, I d- never even heard of lemon jello. So it's like a, it's like a pound cake and then you take like a box of like the lemon jello and you end up like sprinkling it on top and then baking it and. Huh. Interesting. All yeah, right. My, yeah. Bring me a piece. Let me okay. see. All right. So um, speaking of desserts, Joni is gluten-free. <laughs> so you joke a lot that you get to eat 
desserts that she doesn't. So how does that how does that go down? I can't say that on the podcast. Okay. I'm just joking. <laughs> no, but well, you know. Does she, she get her own desserts that are gluten free? Uh, mm, sometimes. So, so, sometimes. I mean, it, like if we're at a restaurant, she's not going to. I mean, typically. You're the dessert eat, well, person. Well, yeah. T- well, typically, like at a lot of restaurants, they might have gluten free, but. Yeah. If they're not really known for gluten-free, Joni's not going to waste money on something that she doesn't know whether or not it's going to be good. Yeah. So she will just sit there and watch me, you know, kind of devour, you know, kind yeah. of my, my dessert. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 You really need to know ahead of time uh, if gluten-free product is, is good or not. It yeah. will. Exactly. Yeah, and it's not it. all gluten-free desserts are made equal. It's not. No. Okay. Next one. Um, name something you miss about Tennessee. Something I miss about Tennessee. Hmm. Nothing? Come on. That's where you're from. Well, I know, but I mean, like, I'm just trying to, like, I mean, I, got, I guess I got family that's still there. there I mean, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see them sometimes yeah, yeah. more than what I do okay. see them. But, yeah, I mean. Nothing about the essence of Tennessee that just draws you essence, back. Yeah, nothing about the essence of Tennessee. I mean, Man, yeah, gosh, that's, I mean, that's a great question. I, gosh, my 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 Tennessee brothers and sisters. I mean, y'all probably gonna give me a hard time next time y'all see me. But like, so email us, email us what? I mean, I guess I could sing Rocky Top, you know. Uh, but but I, you could hear Rocky Top if you really wanted to hear Rocky Top. So it's, it's not like I miss that that song. I mean, but but oh, this is where song. like I, when people say that they're from East Tennessee, I'm like, well, that's the pretty part. That West Tennessee, it's flat. It was, you know, if you like the rural yeah. know, landscape, I yeah. mean, but it was flat, rural. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm not a hunter anymore, so it's not like yeah. I'm just, you know. I, so, yeah, I mean, and, I, and I've actually had this conversation with people about four seasons. Like, I don't really need four seasons. I'm happy right now being able to wear shorts and a T-shirt year-round. I mean, so. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, so that kind of goes into the next question. Name something you really like about living in Florida. Uh, I get to wear shorts and T-shirts pretty much year-round, and are basically I can be outside year-round. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. It's awesome. All right, we got through the light questions, so now we're into the deeper questions. We're doing good on time, and we have plenty of these deeper questions. Um, and they're not all that deep, but you know. Yeah. So, name a book you recently finished. All right, two that I just recently finished: "Shepherds After My Own Heart." So it's the theology of uh, pastoral leadership. Mm. And then disruption mindset of, hmm. and it's more of a leadership kind of business book of, you know, how do disruptions actually occur? Hmm. Like, um, it, like an example, one of the examples that that book kind of gave was how T-Mobile in the last few years actually had some kind of a disruptive model when they stopped doing contracts. So when they when they eliminated contracts and that you could just get your phone and you're not even in contract, then then the other, yeah. you know, but that that really uh, disrupted that model mm. and it you know, it 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 actually 
lent itself to them getting more market shares mm-hmm. in that industry that pretty much Verizon and AT and T had had like consumed. Mm-hmm. So so it's in, it just interesting learning about a disruption mindset because. You know, one of the things that I want, you know, want the staff and the church to, you know, always just kind of keep in the back of our, our mind is, is that, you know, one, we're not in competition with other churches. Yeah. However, if we do the same thing that every other church does, you know, we, we end, end up kind of reaching the same kind of per- person that every church does. And so if you're going to go after people that the church is not not really known for reaching, you you actually got to start doing things that no one else is doing. Yeah. So that's kind of where how do you disrupt something mm-hmm. there? So that that's that's something like we just kind of keep in the back of our mind. Great. So what's a book you're reading now? I actually got got two brought them with me. Uh one is called Nudge. Okay. And it, this is like it's fascinating because basically it's you know it's talking about how you know people aren't really good decision makers and so they need to be nudged in making good decisions mm. and like he was given an example of just a just a way that businesses nudge people so if you've ever looked at your bottom of your receipt that you got like at a restaurant or something it typically will will tell you 18 20 yeah. or 22 percent of tip well if you remember years ago that didn't happen yeah so nudge after this book came out like because it, it, it's a well-known book and I forget when it was first published but it was like you need to prompt people to make a decision mm. and so so one of the things that happened was you know the, you're, you're already going to do the work for them so here's what yeah. if you want to leave 15 or 18 20 or what whatnot and so that's just a way that you nudge people to help them because they're so bombarded by decision making all of the time mm. and so they don't always make good decisions mm. um, and if they have to think about it they'll they they won't eat, they won't they'll just they'll pass on it so so you're really trying to nudge people and making wise helpful healthy decisions so and I'm just about three chapters in so it's it's fascinating reading reading that book and then the other one I'm reading is called practicing the power it's welcoming the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life by Sam Storms oh yeah and so you know for me like. Growing up as a Southern Baptist, I was really taught more of a cessationist kind of theology where mm-hmm. the, the gifts of the Spirit, particularly as it's outlined, you know, as the, the uh, gifts are outlined in Corinthians, they, they're, they're, they're no longer applicable. Um, over the years, I've changed that. So I am no longer a cessationist. I would say that I'm a cautionist, you know, that, you know, that there's always caution, you know, and that's one of the things that I love about uh, Sam Storms is that, I mean, he embraces all the gifts, but but he does it and you know and he articulates mm. why why he believes, but but also with caution that here's some things that you have to watch out for, mm. and you know I love it because you know we had a, a months ago we had what we called a healing service or mir you know miracle you know, miracle, miracle Sunday weekend. yeah. And where, you know, and I, I listed 10 truths about miracles. And ultimately, the it's not a, you know, miracle is not the end in itself. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it is to point to Jesus. So, so Jesus is the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, like, so I just wanted to really clarify for that Sunday because, 
even if the Lord doesn't show up in a miraculous way and bring healing to someone, it doesn't mean that he cannot heal. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith. Right. It doesn't mean, you know, so, there, so there's a lot of things there. But but I really love this, and I'm about halfway done. Mm. And just, just some really good truths and, mm. uh, pract- you know, practical insights that that Sam shares from a from a, quite an extensive ministry of the spiritual gifts of exercising the spiritual gifts. Awesome. So a bonus question um on making decisions, how have you become a better decision maker? Well, oh, how have I become a better decision maker? Um cuz I cuz I, I do appreciate that. I I feel like the way that you lead um us and the staff, you you are pretty decisive. Um, so I'm just, I've always been kind of curious of that. So I, I'm sure you've grown through the years. Oh yeah. Well, cause I, I, I've normally been more reactive in my decision making mm. and now I'm, I would call myself more responsive that I, I actually think deeply mm. about things like, and this actually goes back to the nudge book. Like he talks about, there's two systems that we operate under. We operate under more of an automatic system, which is more of your gut reaction. Mm. And then we operate uh, on a reflective system, which is more of that deep thinking. Mm. And so and I th- and this is where I think values, growing in your values, because a lot of the decisions that we do make in, in our life and in, in, in every day – Life is reactive or, or automatic. It's more of that gut response. Hmm. And so if you don't ha- if you if you're not generating and cultivating values that will help you make those quick decisions well, then you're really not going to find yourself making really gut, you know, kind of gut you know, automatic decisions. You know, but then there are decisions that you, you do need to think twice about. Hmm. Hmm. And that's where you have to drill down on more of that re- Reflective system because, you you, you know, mm. like you are playing chess a lot of times, mm. you, you know, with, you know, some some big decisions like, well, if I go here, this, you know, so you're really trying to play it out, but then also ask for wisdom and discernment uh, for for the spirit. And so um, so that's what I would say. I've really grown in. I just gave verbiage to something I just recently read. But that's how I yeah. would say you, yeah. know, you, you are cultivating values, but then you don't. You you also don't feel the need to to respond immediately to decisions. Like you, you it, it is it is okay to sit on some things. Yeah, you know, uh, like making a decision about an email or yeah. making a decision about staff or making a decision about okay, what you know, what are we going to say in a gathering about some current issue that's happening? Sure. Do we say it or do we not? Like we don't immediately have to respond. Like we can actually sit on it, and I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned because I've. I'm I'm actually more impatient than what I, I don't know. I mean, if you just if you're just looking at me, I don't know if you would see that I'm I'm more of an impatient person. But mm. I'm more I, I, in my life, I have tended to be more impatient mm. and not patient. And I think there is an element to good, healthy decision making, especially on very hard decisions. You need all of the facts. Yeah, still need to pray. And and ask for wisdom and discernment, and then then you can kind of pull the trigger. But but go ahead and exhaust those things before you do it. Great. Uh, is there a book that's been on your list for a while that you have not gotten to? 
Um, well, there's a book because I've read it before and I want to read it again. And I just, I'm like, well, I've read it. I know what it says, but it's the tale of three Kings. Okay. And gosh, um, oh, who writes that? I think Edwards, I want to say Edwards, but I could be wrong. And it's about King David and like leadership and not touching the Lord's anointed. And it's just a really, for me, it's just an Mm. encouraging book of how David always deferred to the Lord Mm. uh, uh, about whether it was Saul or even uh, his son. Oh, gosh, I want to say Abijah. I can't remember. Absalom. Absalom. That Yeah, not Abijah, but Absalom that took uh, the the kingship away from him, and he would say, "I'll I'll never touch the Lord's anointed, mm. and I'll let the Lord, you know, I'll let the Lord work it out." Mm. And so, it, so it's been on my list again for the like last couple of years because it's been years since I've read it. But it's such an encouraging book. That's awesome. Just to trust the Lord. So I looked it up. It is Gene Edwards. Yep. Uh, for me, yeah. So Toxic Charity is one that I've read before, and it's in the same category that I've always wanted to come back to and I just haven't. And then also, uh, Christopher writes the mission of God. Yeah. I yeah. started that one. haven't gotten through it. Um, but it's one that I, I'd love to get the big picture of it, but it's, uh, what? it's a thick one. It is a very, very thick book. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I think five, 600 pages, something like that. So that's if I can get on audio and just, there you go. Just had it, have it, you yeah. know, talk to me. Okay. Um, next up, What's your preferred Bible translation when reading and then when studying? Well, I mean, I, but before, I mean, I would say before I came here, it actually was the CSB, so the Christian Standard Bible. And before that, it was the ESV, which is the Eternal Standard Version. Just joking. The English Standard Version. <laughs> and then I could have said the Christ Standard Bible, too, but... <laughs> And then now, you know, now I just I, I devotionally, I read the NIV, preach from the NIV. And, you know, I consult other translations sometimes when I'm when I'm studying and preparing for a message. But it, it, I and I don't even know if it's really more of a preferred thing as I just didn't want to change Northland. And yeah. for me, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. Mm. It's the word. Mm. And so I'm. I mean, again, I'm going to study the Greek many a times and the Hebrew if if I really feel like I need to see some technical things going on in a passage. And so, mm. you, you know, I, that's going to be a help for me. And mm-hmm. that's what I, I would do. I mean, that's what I read now and use. Great. So related to that, um, can you talk about your process for sermon prep? So say you have a you have a passage. What's the process you go through? Yeah, process. I'm going to read it. I'm going to digest it. I'm going to sometimes even listen to somebody read it, mm. you know, see if anything stands out to me. Mm. And then I'm going to try to find out what's the what's the big idea, what's the main idea. And usually there's there's a big idea and there might be some sub ideas underneath that support it. So it just really depends on the series and depends on the message. Mm. Like so now like so Ruth you know the folk you know the focal point really is the lord and what he's doing there in in his sovereign plan but i just don't see a lot of people focus on naomi and i think there's something there especially at the very beginning and mm. the very end the focus mm. is on naomi mm. 
and God's going to use Ruth. And, we, you know, so so it just depends on where you really you know, where, where you feel like the Lord's wanting to focus, because I've also said many a times that the Bible is like a diamond, you know, that there is a meaning. So the meaning doesn't change. Yeah. But the way you look at that meaning, you know, from different angles or perspectives, you see something different. So that's one of the things I love about the Bible is that, you again, you're not trying to give it a new meaning. You you're you're keeping the meaning there, but you're looking at it from a different perspective. Perspective, which might give you a, a secondary kind of idea you want to kind of drill down on. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cra- you know, I'm gonna craft the the kind of the main idea, and then I'm gonna look at okay what are the supporting hmm. what are the supporting elements to that idea. So hmm. it could be two, it could be three. Uh, I mean, it could be. It depends on again how you want to craft the message or how much of a of a me- you know how much of a passage you're tackling. Mm. So a lot of that goes into the the message, you know, kind of the message time as you're reading the passage, as you're understanding what it says, and and then you're building out the framework. And so it, you know, all in all, I probably do spend around twenty hours. Are so you know in terms of giving mind space to it because that's not twenty hours at a desk writing yeah you know yeah. but that's at least twenty hours like if I'm you know out for a walk I'm listening to you know something um, you know and I also try you know after I get my outline I try to listen to one two maybe three messages from trusted people that I have preached on that passage just to see okay you know am I am Am I, you know, in the ballpark? Because yeah. you know, again, you, you you don't want to regurgitate what someone else says. Like I want, I want the Spirit of God to speak to me about yeah. what I need, and then what are you know what 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 our people need. But also, I don't want to completely botch it either. Like, yeah. uh, man, like, uh, how did I get this? And no one even even chased that down that road. So, yeah, yeah. So so I like to listen to one or two, and then they might give me some technical things about the passage that I haven't come across. Like I heard someone say recently that listening to other people's sermons are actually the new commentary. Now, while I still have, you know, still have, I have a lot of resources and even put my office on uh, social media recently because staff redid it. Yeah. So I got a lot of books. I got a lot of resources. But I think there is some truth to that is Hmm. that because of the Internet and because of the widespread use of people putting on their sermons, if you go to the right person, you might can find some some technical things from from one preacher. If you really wanted some practical examples or application, you can go to another pre, you know preacher. Yeah. So you just need to know who to go to. But so I again, I have some go to people that I, that I use to just make sure technically yeah. I'm on the right page and and occasionally practically. But but I actually love I've spending a lot of time thinking through the practical application of of the truth. Mm, mm. Yeah, the um, n- you know knowing who to go to, right? Knowing what resources to use, and then knowing who to go to um, seems to be seems to be vital. But um, yeah, I mean, it for me, it sounds like you you start you know before you jump to other resources, you start how's God, yeah, you know, how's the Holy Spirit. Um, moving through this text, right, to you. And then after you've gotten your thoughts out, then you go to these other sources. Cool. Um, so how far ahead do you plan a sermon? Well, I, you know, we had a we had a retreat a couple of weeks ago where we at least planned out 2024 in, in, a, in a really a 30,000 foot view 
where we, we know kind of where we're going. And then, you know, I probably stay six to eight weeks ahead in terms of this, you know, the specific passage. If now, you know, again, if we're going through the book of Acts, I already know where I'm, I'm going to kind of be. Yeah. Uh, but like Iron Faith, you know, it, that that was a unique series because it was the first time I'd, you know, I, I was really building that from scratch. And yeah. no one, I, 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 you know, you're talking about not coming across any resources where people had, like, I mean, there, there were a few, but I actually didn't even consult them because I didn't think that they were. I was approaching it in a completely different way. So I was, you know, there were a couple of weeks where I was like week to week ago and I could have, I could have went, you know, a couple of different directions with passages, but I'm like, all right, this, so, hmm. so it was almost like game time decision in terms of the week. Cause I like to process and develop the message that week. I've tried to be a couple of weeks ahead and it just doesn't fit well with me because okay. I like it. I like it to be extremely fresh, like, Hot off the press, and yeah. So yeah, yeah. So, so I know where I'm going theoretically, and <laughs> yeah. then you know, as we get closer to time, specifically. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's helpful. Um, how are you preparing now for sermons next year? Yeah. So Acts, I've already you know for me because we were already in Acts, already have the resource, already read the books. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have a really general, a good general knowledge of background context, and mm-hmm. I go to the passage. Mm-hmm. But like the the book of Ruth, I actually started months ago. Yeah. And so I read you know read one particular book, Unceasing Kindness, mm-hmm. which was a the you know which was a kind of a, a biblical theology. Of uh, of the word Hesed, God God's kindness through the Book of Ruth. Mm. So that was so that was in preparation for you know just because it it was more of a you know a deeper kind of book that gave yeah. you more context background and then it put it in context of the canon you know and the canon meaning the 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 the, the entire scriptures yeah. That was helpful. So I'm already reading on things, you know, kind of, uh, well, like, so when I, when I begin to plan for how to lose your family 10 easy ways, yeah. it'd be a lot of, you know, books and stuff on uh, the theology of family and stuff like that. Yeah. So I just try to, yeah, I'm, I'm usually trying to read probably anywhere from three to six months out. Sure. If, if I need some more background. Before I actually go in into it, so I'm not doing everything when I go into it. Yeah, that's helpful because some of that background you just you can't do week of. Yeah, you know, there's just not. It don't have. I I, don't, I wouldn't you don't have, have the, the time to do it. You don't have the space. So so that's great. So a book like the one for Ruth you did it months ago. So as you enter into the week, that's already there. That's yeah. already laid as the foundation. You know, you know the structure. So, okay, great. Um. Do you have a favorite sermon that you've preached? Favorite sermon? Um, you know, actually, I mean, I don't. Well, I mean, now, now that you ask that, there, there is one, and it's it's called "In Search of Glory." I've not preached it here, and it's actually taken from Exodus. Uh, well, I say thirty-two, thirty-three, mm. where. Moses comes down off the mountain glowing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and I, and I, and I entitled it In Search of Glory because we're all in search of something bigger than ourselves. Hmm. And, you know, 
Uh, Israel was trying to find it because it was also in Exodus 32 is where they erected the golden calf. Yep. So they they like, well, Moses isn't coming back. So we we need we need to worship somebody. So yeah, yeah. we're all in search of it. Yeah. But Moses had found glory, mm. and he wasn't will he wasn't willing to go one step without God's glory. Hmm. And so so in search of glory, this you know it's probably again uh, one of my favorite that I've ever preached. Again, haven't preached it here, but I'm sure at some point I will. Great. You have a favorite verse or favorite book of the Bible? Uh, my favorite verse, my life verse, would be Colossians three. So since since I've been raised with Christ, I need to set my heart on the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I need to set my mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth, because I've died and now my life is hidden with Christ in God. And so, and, and then eventually when Christ, who is my life, appears and I will appear with him in glory. So it just really, for me, it kind of sketches out this idea that I have really been raised with him and my mind should be fixated on him. And then one of these days I will be present with him. And so very, very similar to that whole idea of Christian endurance is that, you, you know, I want to, I, I, I want to, know him. I want to become, you know, more like him. I want to mm. be known by him. And one of these days I want to be physically present with him. So yeah. it's this, and you know, Colossians three just kind of maps that out a little, uh, a little bit there. So Colossians three, one through, you know, four, that's my, I would say that's my life verse. Uh, favorite book. Favorite book. Uh-huh. Of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Should yeah. I say yeah. Genesis? Genesis? No. Uh, my fa- yeah, my, well, my favorite book of the Bible as a pastor is Acts because it's, I mean, if you really want to know what we're trying to shoot for, yeah. I mean, it's the book of Acts. I, you know, basically, we want to be a, a first century church in the 21st century. And if you want to be a first century church, you got to know, you, you got to know what, what the first century church looked like, yeah. what they did and how, how they moved and how they were used to advance and, so, so yeah, we want to be a first century church living in the 21st century, and Acts would be the go-to book. Uh, that's a good answer. I'm shocked you didn't say Genesis. But yep. So the next question actually has a caveat. You have a favorite Bible story, and it cannot be Genesis one, two, and three. Other than that, favorite Bible story. And the one that me, you know, so two, two kind of immediately come to my mind. And, and so it's not Genesis one through three, but it would be Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. Okay. And yeah. the story of Joseph. Yeah. And because I think he gives us such a great understanding of what someone meant for evil. God, God can use it. Yeah. And mean for good. And, how he went through all of that, like, yeah, I, I think that's a really good, you know, story for me. And then I love, you know, and sometimes that, you know, in terms of like preaching and just the story itself is I always love the story of Zacchaeus. And actually, I think that was the story I led with. Yeah. Or the, the passage, I, the first message I preached it was, yeah. was on, on Zacchaeus. Like, I... And I don't know if it's because of childhood, because I I have a height deficiency, and so I, I you know, find you, some you really connect with and, him, and like Zacchaeus. <laughs> um, so those would be yeah, those would be two oh, of my favorite. You know, another favorite story would be Jacob and him wrestling with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so I actually, you know, you're talking about Genesis. I 
think after the book of Acts, I, I really have sensed that I'm going to go to Genesis and just go, walk through the book of Genesis. Really? I think so. Oh, man. So. Genesis is. Because I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked to see when, when's the last time Northlands walked through the book of Genesis. But it's a new I can't, season. And I can't recall. I always yeah. refer to it. And it is the book of beginnings. And so. Uh, Acts is really a book of beginning for the church, and so maybe it would be, you know, it'd just be apropos to go to Genesis and just start there and just walk, walk verse by verse until we, you know, again we get done and and we go through the book every at the beginning of every year. So, um, so it would take us a few years to get through Genesis, but I there's so many it. there's so many series I would want to do in Genesis. Like I want to do one on Jacob, the hill grabber. Well, if I'm going through a series, I can just do that. Yeah, and you know, I have a series on Joseph. Like, well, let's just walk through because yeah, and then you got Abraham. So you really have these major, you know, in some sense these major characters, but these these major people that God worked through at the very beginning because he is setting up yeah. his mission. So I think it just, yeah. It, uh, it I will love it. Back. Yeah. I would love it. And uh, Genesis is, is not G-rated. <laughs> no, Shocks not. people when they start reading through the Bible and they get smacked in the face with all this stuff going on. Oh, yeah. So there's a there's a reality there. All right. So let's do this. Um Let's do one final question. We've okay. done good with the questions. We've gotten through 21 questions so far, maybe 20. I think I skipped one. Okay. So the last question, um, and this is this is more timely. This came up, you know, this weekend, and yeah. I thought it'd be important, and I know you, you thought it'd be important to talk about, is this idea of uh, what's going on in the Middle East, what happened in, in Israel, and um, how should we respond to news cycles? So can you talk a little bit about that? And then also specifically, you know, what's what's the Sunday gathering, the weekend gathering for? What's that purpose? So let's just talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like, I, you know, I just tell people we're not driven by news cycles. We're driven by the Spirit. We want every corporate worship gathering to be centered around Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't ever focus on um, praying for a country, a people, or what what's happened. But but at the end of the day, our corporate worship gatherings, we want people to to leave and go, man, they made that, they made that service about Jesus. Mm. And so that's why for for me, and this goes back to making wise decisions and healthier decisions, is that yeah. that we're not driven by what the culture says that we need to be driven by. We're not driven by headlines. We're not driven by CNN or Fox News. We're not driven by what other believers think that we ought to be focused on that weekend. We are driven by what the Spirit of God tells us we need to do and what we need to focus on. Yeah. So I know that there, you know, obviously with Israel having been attacked, this surprise attack, I mean, it's definitely on many people's uh, hearts and minds and you know that we need to pray for Israel and and yeah I, I I completely agree that we need to pray for Israel and and I've also listened to some other you know some other people that not only do we need to pray for Israel but then they go into Bible prophecy yeah. that it's happening right before our eyes and and so what I did this morning with with our with with our staff or our executive staff is just help them kind of at least understand my process of how I process things like this past weekend. And, 
you know, I was actually reading this morning in Romans 2 where Paul is, you know, he's he's really eliminating the, this idea of, of Jew and Gentile. Mm. Like, you know, the, the Jews who had the law, if they disobey the law, they're going, you know, they're, they're going to hell. Uh, if the Gentiles don't have the law, but they have this concept of a law, they're, they're also go. I mean, like, so, and Paul's, he's, he's constructing this idea that we've all sinned because he's, mm-hmm. he's about to say that in Romans three, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory uh, of God. And so the, so, so that notion, you know, that, that there that there's this equality between the Jew and and the Gentile. It also led me because I was listening to this one guy talk about this as you know prophecy before our very eyes, and and he wanted to go to Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine. So so I went there. Mm. I went to Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine, and and what what's fascinating about about that cha- you know those chapters is that there is no unified understanding from conservative christian scholarship as to what what is meant by what ezekiel was writing in chapter 38 and 39 I mean, there there's at least six different interpretations. That, and that was from the same commentary. I mean, that's, from, that's just from one commentary, just outlining there's at least six different ways that you can interpret that. But, you, you know, here's, you know, there's some, some definitely things that we know. And, and this is what, you know, was, was fascinating that I pointed out to uh, the staff this morning is when you when, when you read one one portion of you know Ezekiel thirty eight it says this is what the sovereign Lord says on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme you will say I will invade a land of unwalled villages I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people all of them living without walls and without gates and bars and I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against and resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations rich in livestock and goods living at the center uh, you know of of the land i mean it's it's just it's fascinating because you 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 have this you have this image that you know israel is dwelling in 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 this peaceful land there's no need of walls but well that's not that's not explaining this the the, the context in which we live yeah i mean israel has an a, a, an iron dome I mean, they they're completely secured. I mean, now did they uh, did they get uh, you know were they surprised by this? Well, yeah. I mean, according to you know according to news headlines, they were. But this, so what I'm getting at with you know Ezekiel thirty eight thirty nine, w- w- there's no definitive answer as to the interpretation of that. And so that's why for for me making projections about things you know aren't really helpful which I'll say that here in just a second. And then another thing that I I noted because you see a lot of people that will that will post Psalm 122:6 and 7 where it talks about pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And yeah, we we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We want to pray for the peace of all cities. Uh, but but that but that particular verse mm-hmm. And, and its context isn't necessarily what is meant by today. And so in Psalm 122, it's part of what they call the Songs of Ascent, hmm. where, where Jews that were pilgrimaging to Jerusalem for, for festivals, they would sing these songs as they went up to Jerusalem. 
And so as they're going, and you also have to remember the context is that this this was in the days of David, and some of the songs of ascent were written by Solomon. So so you have David and Solomon writing these songs of ascent at the golden age mm. of of Israel, mm. whenever yeah, when they had peace from their enemies, when everything was in some sense to to you know a large degree going extremely well for them. And so yeah, pray for the peace, and and you'll you'll have peace. Too, but interestingly, too, when you read Jeremiah twenty nine, what uh, what are the exiles? What are the Jewish exiles supposed to do to Babylon? There's they're actually supposed to seek the shalom of Babylon and actually pray for the shalom of Babylon. So so yes, I, there is this idea that we need to pray for peace, hmm. but but not but but Psalm one twenty two is not like we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem because if they get peace, we all get peace. Like I, I don't don't really. Think that that's that 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 Psalm 122 it means that today, like yeah. you know. So so I really was trying to clarify you, you know some things, and then you know I went to Romans 11 because I think that sheds some light on how we you know can even pray about this present circumstance that that Israel. Are you know is facing, and so Paul, you know, in, in the entire chapter, he's talking about how God has not rejected His people Israel, mm-hmm. and he's actually even talked about in Romans ten and nine, like man, he wants to pray for him. He wishes that he would be accursed if they would just come to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is passionate about his his fellow Israelites. And so so here he, he is that God's not done with them. Uh, he actually talks about uh, that that he doesn't want he doesn't want the Gentiles to be ignorant of this mystery so that they might not be conceited. So he doesn't want Gentiles to become conceited or puffed up or prideful thinking that they're better than than the Jews because he says Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in and in this way all Israel will be saved. So Paul is like, all right, so right now there seems to be this time period in which we live, it's, it's like the time of the Gentiles and that there will be a full number of Gentiles that will come, you know, that will come to know the Lord. And we actually believe that once again, God is, God is on mission to, to redeem a people from all peoples, so from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. And what we actually have seen for the last 2000 years, and we see it from the apostle Paul really, because he was the apostle that shifted from the Jews to the Gentiles. He became an apostle to the Gentiles. And he even says mm-hmm. that in chapter 11 of Romans. And so really from the apostle Paul until present day has in some sense been the ministry and the advancement of God's mission via the Gentiles. And so we still have about 7,000 different Gentile people groups and tongues and languages to reach because we do believe, I think it's Matthew 24, it says in this gospel will be preached to all of the nations and the end will come. Yeah. So so we, we have this era of the Gentiles, but then there seems to be from the Apostle Paul in chapter 11, a future for ethnic Israel. Now, but what does that look like? We don't know, but here's what we do know that it will look like. They will be grafted back into Jesus. Yeah. They will be grafted back into 
Jesus. And so here are the takeaways just for me spending about an hour, hour and a half this morning just processing it and just how, how, you know, how can I teach people and how how can we teach people to pray for what's going on right now? So here are a couple of takeaways. Uh, One, there's no agreement for scholars on interpretation in terms of, you know, eschatology or what's going to happen in the end times because are, you know, are we living in the end times? Well, the church has always believed for 2000 years we've been living in the end times. Okay. Yeah. So, so, but but specific scenarios and situations we don't know. I mean, like, so I heard one person saying, "Well, you know, you know, you, you got Gog, you know, that's in the north, that's Russia." Like, stop it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> number two is God. You know, God desires to make Himself known among the nations and His people. So right now, Israel as a nation, they don't know the Lord. They are blinded. This is part of the hardening. And so, but we also know in the end times that they will know the Lord. Mm. So, so there will be this pouring out of the Spirit. And again, Paul mm. is going to talk about that in Romans 11. There's going to be this pouring out of the Spirit on ethnic Israel. Well, that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're kind of still waiting for that to happen. Mm. And so, but, but we do know that God desires to make himself known, uh, not only among his own people, but among his nations. And then the last I checked too, just on a side note, is God doesn't have two people. Like he's redeeming a people from all peoples. Mm. So that's part mm. of where, you, you know, sometimes it gets a little confusing. Well, that those are God's people. Well, what is this church? Yeah. So are we saying he has two? No. And that's where Paul, I think, is really clarifying that, no, he is redeeming a people. And that, yes, ethnic, you know, ethnic Jews, that was in some sense his firstborn. But now Jesus, he is the greater Israel. Mm. He's the greater Adam. And so now the Gentiles have been grafted in to Israel via Jesus. And so now Israel ethnically that has been separated from God, that has Mm. been blinded, that has this hardening, there will be a pouring out, we believe, Mm. where they will be grafted back into Jesus. All right. So so the third thing is no nation can hurt God's people without him allowing so, so one of the things that we see throughout redemptive history in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, um, God, God protects his people. Yeah. So God is the iron dome for his people. Mm. I mean, he was the iron dome in Exodus. Uh, he's the iron dome as as they are conquering the the promised land like they they were the weakest and he tells them you were the weakest of all nations mm. so that i could display my strength through you mm. and so when we're sitting here you know going well you know like well israel can protect their own okay well here's the thing though throughout the redemptive history They've never been able to protect their own mm. apart from God protecting them. Amen. Uh, number four, uh, you, you know, so, uh, you know, when when many read into prophecy what they want to, that, that that's not good. And that's what we're seeing a lot of, of times when people want to specifically talk about prophecy. They, they read into prophecy what they want, and they shouldn't. And, uh, and here's what I will also say. It's fun to talk about prophecy, mm. uh, but, but it's fun until it's not. And so, and that's where I feel like, you know, there, there's a kind of this scare tactic and the scare, mon- you know, kind of this fear mongering that yeah. kind of happens when you start playing hypothetical situations. 
I just don't think that's helpful. Yeah. I really don't think that that's helpful. Yeah. Here's what we do know. Like yeah. I, this is what I, I, you know, and I really tried to just just drill down on what we do know is that you have the theme of God's kingdom from beginning to end. Is that God's kingdom was initiated in the garden where it was where it was undermined by Adam and Eve's sin. God's kingdom was foreshadowed in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and therefore it was botched because they sinned and disobeyed, and they were scattered throughout the nations. But then you have God's kingdom inaugurated at Jesus' first coming. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The apostles or the disciples come to Jesus in Acts 1 before he ascends back into heaven and says, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And what does Jesus say? Well, it's not for you to know the times or seasons of which the Father has set, but what does he do? He sends them out on mission that you're going to be my witnesses. So there definitely seems to be this shift from a geographic kingdom location Hmm. uh, from Israel to Jesus' first coming and then from Jesus. Jesus's first coming to Jesus's second coming is that there's been this shift from a geographical location that is more nationalistic to mm-hmm. now a, a a movement, a spiritual kingdom uh, taking, and you know, Pastor Gus talked about occupation, but taking the world by storm through overwhelming, through the power of the gospel, the good news of King Jesus, that in his love for humanity came to make all things new through his death and resurrection, and that he's the ultimate rightful king for every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. So it does seem that there's been this shift because he never, but because there's never any of this movement in the New Testament, even from the Apostle Paul, that, that there's going to be this other nationalistic kingdom that is set up until Jesus comes back. Mm. And mm. so the second time, and so what you have right now is that the church reflects the kingdom but it, it but it does not uh, force people into the kingdom. So, so right. we, we're we're not wa- you know waging war with our swords. We're actually waging war through love right. and, and through witness. But then one of these days, here's what the Bible teaches: that Jesus will come back a second time, and He will come riding on His white horse. Now, when that happens, we again, everybody, you can have fun until you don't. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's fun to kind of maybe speculate, but but we don't know when He actually is going to come back. But we do believe that He's going to come back, and with a word will destroy all of the nations and consummate his kingdom, mm. the new city, Jerusalem, here on earth. So it's heaven and earth colliding mm. and marrying. And so those that's what we know. So that's mm. where I want people just to stay faithful to what we know. And yeah. so um, and then there is a future for ethnic Jews and possibly even for the nation of Israel itself. And, you know, some of you are like possibly for like, well, didn't they become a nation? And they did. And But here's the thing. You're going to find that some scholars believe that that was a fulfillment of prophecy. And these are these are conservative evangelical scholars. Some of them believe that when Israel became a nation, uh, that was a fulfillment of prophecy. Some people don't. And and so so that's where I'm like, hey, there is a future for ethnic Jews and even for the nation of Israel itself, but maybe not like how we envisioned it. Yeah. Because again, don't confuse what we know of what Jesus is going to do with something that might, you know, that we think because, you know, we heard it that, you know, might happen with Israel. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but their future, though, is grafted into King Jesus. Mm. Um, and then 
the, the, the last thing I will say is that we should pray for our Jewish friends and neighbors, and we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We ought to pray for the peace of all cities. And the, 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 the element, though, that I do think it heightens for praying for our Jewish friends is because we don't need to forget that God created the Jews uh, to to be the conduit by which he brought redemption to the world. Mm. And so he did. And that's where first for the Jew, then for the Greek, is that they're kind of like the older brother. Mm. That's why the parable of the prodigal son was so scandalous because you got the, the younger brother and the, and the older brother. And here the younger brother squandered everything living like a Gentile. Older brother didn't, but they both were lost. And so, but but it's the older brother, like you know. So the the Jews, in a redemptive sense, mm. ethnically, mm. they if they're saved, they are the older brother. And so I think that's where Paul's like, we don't need to be conceited. Uh, we actually need to be humbled, and we need to pray for them, and ultimately pray for their salvation. And so, so I do want us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I want us to pray for the the Jews' salvation. Like, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. If they die, if a Jew dies mm-hmm. and does not know Jesus, they spend an eternity separated from him. And, and then the, the, the other element is that Jesus teaches us that we ought to pray for our enemies. We ought to pray for those who persecute us. So there is, from a biblical Christian worldview, is not only are we praying for the peace of Jerusalem and our Jerusalem friends that they might come to know Jesus, but we also are praying for the Palestinians. And we're even praying for Hamas. the terrorists. Yeah. That, that they might come to know Jesus. And I know what some people would say. I can't believe that you would even want to pray for them. Then that shows that we don't understand how depraved we actually are. Mm-hmm. Is that when we, the Bible says that we were at enmity. Uh, we, we were enemies of God. Mm. Like it doesn't, you know, God doesn't have a moral scale. Like, oh, well, you're not as bad as them. No, no, no. Like you bad, you, you deserve death, hell, and the grave. And so that's why Jesus, he tells us we ought to pray for those who are our enemies. We ought to pray for those who persecute us. We ought to pray for those who don't believe like, like us. Like, so, so again, we, we're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but we're also going to pray for even the enemies. Yep. Of of Israel and the enemies of America and the enemies of the church, because Jesus calls us to do that. And so those are some you know some things that I shared with the staff today, just to help us process, yeah, uh, uh, you know, kind of just some some current context of what's going on. So let's just do this. Let's take the last few minutes. Let's pray for uh, what's going on in the world and uh, just ask God to to move in a powerful way. And so, Father, we just mm. we pray mm. for. Our, our Jewish friends uh, who are far from you, uh, that, that there are some Messianic Jews that love you and that are, are trying to be salt and light there. And so we ultimately pray for the salvation of the Jews. Mm-hmm. We, we pray that their, their heart would be softened. We pray that their mind would be opened, that they would see the glory and the renown of Jesus, that he is Yahweh come in flesh. And so we pray for them. We also pray for the, the chaos that you would bring to order, that which is chaotic. We do pray for your peace, uh, that, that Jerusalem, that the mm. city of peace would actually experience your peace. Mm. 
So we, we also pray for the, the terrorists. We, we pray, God, that you would thwart them, that you would stop them, that you would prohibit them from, from doing the very thing that, that is wicked in their heart to do. But we also pray for their, their salvation, mm-hmm. that you also came. I mean, you, well, we, we see on the cross two thieves that deserved to die, yet, yet one was humble enough to repent. And so we, we pray for, we pray for Hamas. We pray for the Islamic terrorists that you would soften their hearts. As we, we've heard from many of our brothers and sisters in Egypt of what you are doing among Muslims, we do yeah. pray that yeah. you, you would give them visions, that you yes. would give them dreams that yes. would, that would, yeah. that would lead them to yeah. you and to your grace. So we, so we, mm-hmm. we pray that mm-hmm. over over that entire region, your presence, your power, your provision, and ultimately your salvation would would come in a mighty, mighty, powerful way. We pray for our brothers and sisters in our in our uh, in the the church here in America. I pray that we just be unified. Mm. That we would mm. love each other, even if we don't don't even uh, believe uh, the the same. Whether it's you know secondary, tertiary uh, doctrines or theology. But we, we pray that we would be anchored around the centrality of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and that he truly is our cosmic king come to make all things new and one day will return again. And so we pray, Maranatha, come, mm-hmm. Lord Jesus, come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, will mm-hmm. we be faithful? Spirit, fill us so that we might be faithful to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth as you redeem a people mm-hmm. from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. For it's in your glorious, powerful name we pray. Amen. 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 Northland, we love you. Blessings on you. And we will see you this weekend worshiping King Jesus. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode. 